Method to the Madness is next. You're listening to Method to the Madness, a public affairs show on KALX Berkeley celebrating Bay Area innovators. I'm your host, Lisa Kiefer, and today I'm speaking with Mandy Aftel. Mandy is one of the most sought-after custom perfume makers in the world. Her first book on perfume, Essence and Alchemy, is accepted as a seminal text. She has collaborated on two cookbooks with celebrated Bay Area chef Daniel Patterson, exploring the connections between food and fragrance. And most recently, she has opened a museum, the Aftel Archive of Curious Scents, right here in Berkeley on Walnut Street. This is a show about innovators, and you have the perfect story about how you got started. I had a practice for 30 years as a psychotherapist in Berkeley, and I specialized in artists and writers, and I loved my work a lot. I really did. It was just wonderful. And I wrote a book called The Story of Your Life, and it was about how stories work in therapy and in fiction. And I love research, so I read a lot of books about plot and was just fascinated by by how people tell stories. And I wrote this book, and then after that, I kind of knew so much about plot, I wanted to write a novel, and that I should make my main character a perfumer. And I have no idea why. None. I had never been that interested in perfume. I don't know where it came from, but I thought this would be good. This will be kind of sexy and interesting and juicy. And I thought, oh, I can do a lot of research, which is very appealing to me. So I began uh, getting books, and I knew that perfume was synthetic now, mostly synthetic, if not totally. And I was very interested in real ingredients and real flowers and real trees and leaves and stuff. So I began to collect books from the turn of the last century. And they were so fascinating, so beautiful, so interesting. I just loved them. And so then I thought, well, maybe I should take a class for my research for my novel. So there was a place, I think north of here, that taught a little solid perfume class. It was an aromatherapy studio, and you could make a little perfume with wax, beeswax, and oil. And I went there with a person who was a friend at the time. And I got to smell all these materials, and I just totally fell in love with them. And I also felt like, for some reason, I could kind of understand them, and I could kind of figure some things out about how to work with them. So I made this perfume in class, and then my friend, who I went to the class with, she said, well, let's start a perfume line. You know, you'll make all the product, and I'll do all the business. And... um and we did, which was kind of crazy. And it got picked up by Neiman Marcus. Neiman Marcus, and... Bergdorf Goodman's. And it was like really amazing. And nobody could be more surprised than me. And I loved it. I loved making the stuff. The business came to a kind of unfortunate end. I got taken away from me. And I thought I was never going to make perfume again, quite honestly. And I also thought I was just awful at business. And then my editor, who's also my best friend, and I wrote this new book, um, The Art of Flavor, with her and wrote also wrote story of your life with her she suggested this is several books back write something on perfume because by then I had 200 turn of the century books I had hundreds of essences because I'm very obsessed when I like something and so I wrote this book called essence and alchemy which was I think 15 or so years ago it's kind of the bible of perfume it is a lot of people got their start with it and then kind of I just sort of you know without being too corny followed my nose and sort of landed where I am We're going to talk about where you are now because you just opened 
the first museum in the United States about natural essences. Yes. And yes, it's it a called? thrill. It's called the Aftel Archive of Curious Sense. And it's located right here in North Berkeley. So it's at 1518 Walnut. It's in a converted garage. It's like a cottage behind my house. I think it was a garage like 50 years ago. It's on uh, a few doors down from Pete's. And, we're and only it's right open next to Chez Panisse. It's right behind Chez Panisse. Yeah. And it's only open one day a week on Saturdays by ticket. And it is the best thing I have ever done. I just love it. Well, walk me through, if I were to go in there, I know you have what is called an organ. Yes. What is that? Oh, it's so cool. It's a, a perfume organ is very thin shelves and many of them that you put the perfume bottles on. So when you're sitting beneath it, it kind of looks like an organ. Essences used for perfume, natural essences, but also synthetics as well, are called notes and you put them together and they make chords. So in perfume, different essences like rose or jasmine or orange or frankincense, they're called top notes, middle notes, or base notes. So you arrange on this organ on these shelves the top notes together, which are the ones that reach your sense of smell very quickly and disappear, like orange or mint or lime, things like that. Things are familiar from gardening or eating. Then the middle notes are more complicated. They have more layers, like rose and jasmine, and they last maybe two to four hours. And then base notes are the really deep heavy materials that have been in man's spiritual life since the beginning of time, like sandalwood and myrrh and frankincense, and they're from roots and barks and trees and And resins and grasses. And so they kind of have different smell registers, if you will, light down to heavy. All of your ingredients, some are very exotic, and I wanted to ask you, you know, you probably have a lot of stories. What has been the most exotic smell or essence that you have been able to find? And how did you go about finding that? You know, I I really like the hunt and I'm a very passionate human being. So kind of almost everything I have has a hunt connected to it. One of the things I'd say too about the hunt and finding things is even if I find them, it's not stable. So it's not like I can go back and find that Again, so if you make a perfume for someone, then that perfume is a one-time deal. Yes. So I have gardenia, which was really a hunt, really, really a hunt, and I thought didn't exist. And honeysuckle, which I also, when I wrote Essence and Alchemy, I said they didn't exist. I, I knew at that point I had never found them. People can render these materials if they want to take the time and somebody wants to spend the money. But natural essences for such very high prices are not really in demand in industry. So no one wants to pay the kind of money. I think the story of the tiari is pretty interesting. Tiari is a gardenia that's in Tahiti. One of my students who was snorkeling, I think, in Tahiti ran across this guy who had this gardenia that was just so beautiful, so incredible. She put me in touch with him. I got in touch with him, and it's just, he has this stuff. I I have a fantasy of his life. I'm sure I'm wrong. I feel like he might be like on a yacht, boating. I don't know where I call him because he doesn't call me back. I believe I'm his only customer, only because he's difficult to pin down and get anything from. It's clear to me he doesn't care if he sells this stuff, but he has, you know, all the right analysis of his material. His material is very beautiful. When he sends it, you have to follow all these rules. It's very touch and go, whether it'll actually get to me, which is why I think 
I could be the only one because I take all the risk on it coming because lots of forms need to be filled out and they always, you know, call us and ask us to fill them out. But it's this very beautiful, voluptuous, gardenia smell that's just narcotic. And what form does it come to you It comes to me in a, a form that's called an absolute, which is a solvent extraction, which is a cold process that releases these very volatile, flighty, rich, layered kind of smells that are inside that gardenia. So it's extremely heady and very scarily expensive. I mean, truly scarily expensive. Like what? Like around ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 a kilo, which is 2.2 pounds. I don't buy 2.2 pounds. He will sell less to me. So I buy it in smaller amounts, which means I'm continually, when I run out, because I don't buy very much because it's so expensive, you know, he sells it to me again, which I'm very grateful for. You talk about the history of scents. Can you tell us a story about any in particular that in history that you uncovered that was an astounding story? Well, Ancha, I think Ancha is a pretty amazing story. Ancha is really fascinating. There are these um, shells. They're very ordinary looking like the top of a shell. They're like this big and they're, they're, they're not gorgeous. You know, shells can be really beautiful. They're little shells. And I found that they were in the original recipe for incense that God gave to Moses. And so in the in, in the Keteret, I'm not positive I'm saying that correctly, but they're in there, and they've been used in the incense tradition for a really long time. And they're pretty fascinating. I have them in the museum. And I have very, very old, I think from 1600 on, handmade paper and hand-colored illustration of them from that far back of these shells. They're very lowly, but they're very famous. And so I pound those up with a, a mortar and pestle, and then I soak them in very, very high-proof alcohol, and the smell comes out of them. And it's a kind of briny, sea, slightly animal, kind of mysterious kind of smell. And that was, like, amazing to find and be able to use. It almost sounds like a sexual smell. <laughs> well, there are ones that are really sexual. That one's less sexual well, than what some, are of some, the, of some of the others. Well, all the animal ingredients, which are very, have very complicated pasts and a lot of ethical issues to them, but have very tangled histories with us, and some of them are endangered, so I'm not, you know, suggesting people, you know, run out and use them. But they are very sexy. Musk is the original very, very sexy kind of aroma, and it's very intense, real musk. And I do have that also in the museum. In my museum, I have 100-year-old essences, like I have a 100-year-old ambergris. I have 100-year-old things, and some to be compared to modern ones. So they've aged over 100 years, and they're extraordinary smelling. And I think I may have the only bottles of them. If someone else has them, I haven't run into them yet. You know, and when I bought them, I never had heard of anyone having these very, very old bottles of these things. And so I have one little exhibit in the museum comparing old and modern ordinary oils, not these these animal ones. But there's an ingredient that is in jasmine and orange flower and uh, an animal ingredient called civet, which is called indole. It's also in poop. So it's kind of this fecal floral, kind of edgy, sort of yin and yang kind of smell that's really a piece of the natural perfume world in terms of something not just being sweet or not just being a beautiful flower. So like jasmine, when you really smell jasmine, when you go in Berkeley at night past a real patch of jasmine and it kind of like you know knocks you out it's very sexy and it's got a kind of dirty aspect to it. it's not just like this clean sanitized smell it's got that kind of dirty aspect which makes it sexy and interesting oh i have to tell you i lived back east for a while and then came back to the bay area yes 
And one of the things I really noticed walking around in Berkeley was that very thing, that sort of jasmine sweet but stinky, almost like yeah. nauseating. Yes. And I thought, wow, I wonder if she ever does city smells. Like, you know, here's your bottle of Berkeley. You know, it's that aspect of natural aromas that drew me in in the first place. Their beauty is so complex. It's the it's the complexity of, of really good cooking or gardening where you have really fragrant plants. When smells are really good, they're very complex. They're not just one thread of a smell. They're a rich kind of cocktail of different aromas. And I just love that. I love the worlds that open up when you really take the time to inhale and smell things deeply. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Method to the Madness, a weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley celebrating Bay Area innovators. Today I'm speaking with Mandy Aftel, founder of Aftelier Perfumes and the Aftel Archive of Curious Scents, a museum which explores the natural history of perfume right here in Berkeley. Speaking of cooking, you've done a couple of books with Daniel Patterson, the chef of Qua, and yes, most recently it's called the Art of Flavor. You did Aroma with him. How is it different? Aroma we did, I think, about fifteen years ago, and it really focused on essential oils for cooking and for personal care. So Daniel would have like three cooking recipes for say rose, and I would have one personal care thing. uh, Uh, a body oil, a lip balm, uh, something for your face, bath salts, whatever, for each of the ingredients. This book is really different, and it was really exciting. It came out, Art of Flavor from Riverhead, in August, and so we just have been doing some things about it. Daniel, first of all, is you know brilliant and amazing to work with, and we discovered, we've been friends for many years, that our ways of working were the same. When we would talk about how I would create a fragrance and how he would create a flavor, We were both thinking, our heads were in the same place, thinking about ingredients and complicated ingredients. And so we thought, let's do something on flavor. Let's kind of teach this to people because we wanted to. So we want to do something for the home cook that's really simple, that focuses on things that you have, not expensive stuff, very simple stuff. And what we found was so much was interesting about how to create flavor because it's it's like creating perfume. So we focused a lot on shopping with your nose, really smelling ingredients, really thinking about the different shapes of ingredients, the different textures of them, things that I think about with scent. Then we also went on and talked about how you're, you're affecting flavor the minute you start cutting into something and all the cooking techniques. So everything's oriented toward flavor. And then we have a thing in the book, there's a really wonderful flavor compass, which is all the aroma, all the very, very aromatic and very essential oil-rich ingredients. So it's citruses, herbs, spices, and flowers. So we talked about how to use those ingredients because they're very complicated in a way that you wouldn't think about. So like when you're using basil, why would you use basil instead of tarragon? We want to empower people to make good decisions. Why use lemon instead of lime? But in the book, there's no real using of essential oils. You're using these essential oils that are in the plant. So it's in the leaves of the mint. And do you talk about the the, the medium that is best to use to extract that? No, you don't need to do any of that stuff with our book. We basically say, smell these ingredients, like smell Thai basil, 
if you're in the store, rip off a little leaf and smell it or rip off a little flower and smell it. Really smell the end of the, the carrot. Really smell the things you buy and then use them and be smelling all the way as you're cooking. So you don't need to render anything because the essential oils will leave. That's what you're really getting the flavor from. It's the essential oils in mint that make for the mint flavor. The minute you start to crush it or cut it up, the the oil's coming out. Same with basil. Or if you're with an orange and you just push your fingernail into the peel of an orange, that's the oil. So all you have to do is use the zest and some of it is in the orange juice or the lemon juice. Or if you clove, if you pound it up or you stick your finger in there, there's the oil. Oil is right there. So we wanted to make it very easy to use those oils right there in the plants. We talk a lot about that and it's just a book I'm really proud of. I'm very excited about what we discovered because if you think about it, People tell you what to put together in food, but they don't tell you why. So you're empowered to do it on your own. If you're in a farmer's market or you're in Safeway or wherever you are and you see something, you think, well, I've got these kind of crummy carrots at home. What could I put with this to make it good? We talk about that. So simple and very special. And you have your own Aftelier perfume company, and um, you do perfumes for individuals. You know, when you go into department stores or really any big stores that sell perfume it's such a cacophony of horrible i don't even wear perfume anymore yes my customer is the person who doesn't wear perfume what is the difference between synthetic perfume and natural essence perfume is big business and you can make a lot of money in perfume with the big big brands and things like that and so they moved almost a century ago to using synthetics and those are man-made chemicals so the natural essences are still there they're still around and they have they're really really different and the first way they're really different is they don't last so if you put on a perfume of mine, I probably wouldn't even be able to smell it from here. They're very personal. You need to be very close to the person. And also they evolve with your skin. And so they change on each person and just fade away. So my big selling line, if someone calls me, gets me on the phone, is how would you like to buy a perfume that costs a whole lot more money, that doesn't last, and the bottle is tiny? Does that sound good? Because if that sounds good, I'm your perfumer. So it's a re-education of people to not expect something that's cheap in a bottle that, that it has no real relationship to the earth. And so when you wear it, it's a really different experience. And it's what I fell in love with. There are people who love synthetics, and there's also people who work with both naturals and synthetics and work in an artisanal way. I just love natural essences, all that complexity, all that tangled history with us as a species, all the places around the world that they come from. It's local, but it's really exotic. I like all that. So, so that's client, why I like to work with it. If you have a client that comes in, I can imagine that you maybe unwittingly call on your psychotherapy skills to help a person determine. I don't. You don't? I, I'm such a disappointment. It seems I, like such a great well, mix. Well, I, I, I am and I'm not. I mean, it's there, but it's not how you think. So let me explain that. Most people who do custom perfume have a questionnaire which I don't have. And they ask psychological questions, which I also don't have. Like, you know, do you like winter? Do you like spring? And <laughs> can you tell me a memory that you, you know, that happened that was important? And what's your favorite color? And you know, it's a lot of stuff like that. I don't ask anything. It's nothing at all. You come in to my studio, but I do pay a lot of attention about people. The main thought for me is that it isn't your conscious mind and your identity to the world 
that helps you decide what smells you like. And that's what you would tell me in those questionnaires. I feel that's not what's true. What's true is what you resonate with when you smell the ingredients. So I give you the opportunity to smell all these different top notes and middle notes and base notes, and you pick your favorites. I give you lots of bottles of things to smell, not to overwhelm, but to kind of get a sense of your taste. And when you smell the individual ingredients on their own, then you get to make a decision that you may not have made. Otherwise, I've done a lot of custom perfumes for men. They pick a lot of florals. So you would think by questionnaire and psychology, they wouldn't pick florals, but they do. And women pick lots of woods and resins and so on. So I find the sexual stereotyping to be completely out the window. And also very early in my custom career, that part of it, I remember this woman came to see me and she was very corporate. You know, and I made a real snap decision about how she looked and who she was and whatever. I was very prejudiced. She picked the sexiest, wildest, unconventional stuff. <laughs> and that was like a life-changing thing for me because I thought, your, your presentation is totally different than what's going on with you. So that for me, the essences have personalities. So when you pick them, I learn about you, but not the other way around. So if a magazine calls me, to say, oh, you know, it's Valentine's Day and we have a really sporty mom or we've got one that likes to go clubbing, a woman, you know, what suggests a perfume? And I would always say, God, I have no idea because, I mean, because she likes to go clubbing this, you know, or she's driving her kids around, you know, in a station wagon. This doesn't tell me what perfume she'd like. I can't help. So it's very different for me. So you have had some very interesting clients, one of which one of my heroes of all time, Leonard Cohen. Yes, I would love to hear about that interaction. Well, I had a, a relationship with him for 20 years. I was very afraid to meet him. So, so we wrote back and forth. When I made stuff for him, we wrote back and forth. And I was kind of incredibly, I was very lucky that he loved my work. And that was like beyond, I mean, really beyond, beyond the beyond to me. Because um, I idolized him and I was just too fearful to ever meet him until right before he died. I knew he was ill and I knew I needed to like either get over it or regret it. So I did go and and meet him, but we had been in touch. We were in a lot of touch over the years with many different things I made and we had a kind of gift-giving relationship. I think I frustrated him a lot by not letting him pay because I could see it disturbed him and every once in a while I would say, I'm going to charge you for this. But <laughs> the thought of him paying. I wonder if he ever wrote a song about He this. had fragrance in a lot of his songs and he was very he was just loved smells. He liked smells that had a very deep like the the Ancha from the Keteret. When I got involved in that, he sent me one of the formulas for the Keteret from some Kabbalah group he was interested in. So he was very interested in the things that I made for him had very ancient materials in them and he loved that and he wore it whenever he went out and that was kind of unbelievable to I mean still still utterly unbelievable to me. Did you listen to his last album? Oh my god, yes. Well, when we went to finally go meet him, he asked if I'd like to hear a song and he played the whole album for Foster and I in his living room and talked to me about it and it was like one of the most amazing experiences of my entire life. So I okay. want to talk to you about the business. Okay. You say you aren't really a business person. I love business. I love business, but I like it my way. Well, let's talk about that. You really followed your passion yes. without any kind of 
business school oh my um, god Beyond. classes or yes. anything. so tell us about your business structure and um well this is my favorite i love my business our business i do it with my husband foster and we're partners in it together our business is so unusual and we love it so much we barely can go to sleep at night we work a lot really a lot um i i am the sort of person who has always, has not fit in, certainly from my background in Michigan. And I'm just eccentric would be a nice word. I'm just kind of different. And I lost my first business, so I thought I was really bad at business. And um, we have this very unusual business model that we made up, just kind of like the museum. I mean, all of it we kind of concocted. I remember being there making the museum day after day after day for three years and thinking, you know, people go to school for this, you know, like display or any of this stuff we were doing. And we did a lot wrong. We, we were very willing to, like, do it wrong and do it again. I mean, you can tell we, we are people that have no boss because a boss would have probably fired us by now because, you know, if we get it wrong, we just start all over again. We just forget. At what point were you profitable? You're profitable. We were profitable pretty early. We are profitable. We're very profitable. So to me that says, like, if you do what you love – Yes, you're going to make it. Is that an assumption that is? Accurate? I, I think I think that we're so lucky to be profitable, and I think that um, I do do what I love. I believe in what I'm doing. I work really hard, and so does Foster. And we spend a lot of time thinking through how we could improve because it's fun for us. So we we pay attention. And I one of the things I've said a lot about business is that anyone can get a customer. It's getting a repeat customer that makes a business and a repeat customer that tells their friends. And that's that's our base. So people that come to us are, by and large, very happy with their experience with us, and we're happy with it too. So we write, for example, I write a note to everyone who buys something. We call everybody back immediately. If we do something, you know, we send the wrong stuff, we send you know, other stuff. On the other hand, we educate our customer to what we have. So we have no free samples. We're never open. We, we have, you know, we're not, don't, I mean, people expect free samples in the perfume world. But we feel that our, it's called the juice, our, our thing, is very valuable to us. It takes us a long time to make it. So we don't want to give it away because we want people to value our work. Have people tried to buy you? Yes, but I don't have any interest in being. Yes, but I a few times. But I don't have any interest. I'll tell you, I I had this incredible experience with this very wealthy man who's now dead in Los Angeles. Who's very interested, and I was interested. I mean, some of this stuff I was interested in these things because I needed to see them to realize they weren't for me. So it's very easy for me, which I think is a big key to business, to say no. Like, I'm not seduced very easily at all because so many things just look bad. You know, I, I feel like what I'm doing, I love and want to protect. So having lots more money is not interesting to me. Doing work for, you know, tons of people or whatever, I, I don't want to grow. I don't want to be bigger. I don't want to do the things that most people want to do. So it's of no interest. So it's very easy to stay on track. It's not... I'm not struggling with anything. So when people have tried to buy me, they have this is this this is very telling. I went to this man and and he was really loved my work and stuff and he wanted me to know, for example, my cost of goods, which is I think what people know. I don't know. I don't know. I still don't know. I think people like think I'm lying, but I don't because let's say I buy a kilo of rose 
or a pound or whatever I buy. I have my old one there too. And then my old one cost a different amount of money. Or maybe I got it somewhere else. You need to know the price per drop, but I can't figure that out. Then I sell some of it. So I have a little bit of my business as my overflow of my oils that I love and I source. People who like my taste or other perfumers sometimes buy from me. I make a profit on that. Not a ton, but I make a profit. So then I'm completely, because I'm dyslexic, confused about (laughs) what that drop of rose must cost since I've sold some off and made some, mixed them together. So when I went to this man and he wanted to buy me, I had to give him the cost of goods. I spent a lot of time trying to work it out, like what a drop of rose cost me or whatever. And in the end, I thought, this is a sign. I can't I can't do this. If this is what you do in a real, quote, real business, because we think of our business as kind of a toy business, I wasn't going to get there. So I feel like a lot of things people do for business kind of rips the heart and soul out of what you're doing. And I just don't want to go that way. It sounds like that your best advice is if you don't love something, forget about it. Yes. And so we're, we're very tiny. We, we work together with foster son, Devin. It's the three of us. That's who's really there. I greet when I'm there. I greet every person who comes in the museum. I love what I do. I feel so lucky. Well, we're lucky to have you right here in Berkeley. And how could people reach you if they want to take a tour of your museum or buy your book or buy your perfume? Oh, I would love that. The museum is open on Saturday. And first of all, you can go to my website, which is www com, which is A like Adam, F like Frank, T like Tom, E-L-I-E-R.com. Or if you can't remember that, just look my name up and hopefully my website will show up. Also, uh, there at the website, if you go to www.aftelier.com forward slash archive, it would take you to the museum, which I hope everybody will come. And what's the name of that museum again? It's called the Aftel Archive of Curious Sense. It's located at 1518 Walnut Street between Cedar and Vine, open on Saturdays. We we usually have eight people an hour, so we can't have a lot of people. So, But if we can have people, we do. And then I have my stuff on my website, or you can just call us up. If you want to call us up and ask a question, want to buy something, 510-841-2111. And if I wanted to have a perfume made? The perfume, my having a perfume made is the most expensive thing I do. So it's a lot of money. It takes several hours to come and sit with me. It's kind of like a portrait, speaking of the psychology. So I've had people come back over the years and it changes because I, of course, look up what they picked before and what they're picking now. So as their life changes, their taste and smells changes and you get a whole, you know, you get like four or five different things. It's really pleasurable. You learn all about the different aromas that go into your perfume. It's a very personal purchase. It's a really one-of-a-kind experience, and I love doing it. It sounds beautiful. I really want to thank you for being on the program. You've been listening to Method to the Madness. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes University. 